Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. If you'd like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at BethesdaChurch.tv slash give and simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. Man, I'm excited about the word of the Lord today. A um, little bit different. Um, we, you guys know me uh, well by now. Those of you that have attended here for a while, you know that I plan way out, especially when it comes to sermon preparation and what we're going to be talking about all year long. Um, this one is going to be a little bit different because I didn't know exactly what direction I was going to go until late Thursday night. All right. Uh, and so that makes me extremely uncomfortable uh, as, a, as a pastor, but even uh, more so as a preacher. But late Thursday, after some time in the presence of God, some time in prayer, um, I really feel that I've got a word that I need to share with you for the next three weeks. Um, and I'm going to call this series um, Bewitched, and this is Hot Off the Press. Uh, this hasn't had a lot of time in the oven, um, but we, we believe that God is going to speak to us and, and move powerfully. Let me just say, because of the timing, uh, I did not have the appropriate amount of time to get it to the team to build walls and do all the things we normally do. So I'm going to ask that you would follow along in your Bible. If you brought it with you, this is going to be a great day to pull it out. Uh, if you didn't, then open up that smartphone, um, pull up the app, the note will be on the app, or uh, you can follow along on the Version app as well, the Bible app. Um, I believe God is going to speak to us today, and it's going to be a powerful uh, time in his presence. The series title is Bewitched. My first message today, I want to call it the power of the cross, the power of the cross. Next week, I'm going to deal specifically um, with the nature of witchcraft and then in week three, I'm going to come back and close this series out by coming back to a message on the cross. Now, let's start with the scripture where this series came from. Go with me to Galatians chapter number three. Galatians chapter number three. And we're going to look at verse number one. And the Apostle Paul writing to the church, uh, to the Galatian church, he said, You foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. Now, let's stop for just a minute and let's look at the phrase that Paul uses, the, the word that he uses here. He says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? The word bewitched means affected by or as if by witchcraft or magic. That's, that's the word that Paul is using here. Under a spell is another meaning. A couple more meanings are enchanted or charmed, fascinated by someone or something. And I want you to notice that Paul starts by saying, you foolish Galatians, and then he asks the question, he said, who has done this to you? Who has bewitched you? Who has put a spell on you. And he closes that scripture out by saying, before your very eyes, Jesus Christ, you saw him as clearly portrayed as crucified. Now I want to tie a verse to it 
First uh, Corinthians chapter number one, verse number eighteen. Verse number eighteen. It says, "For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God." I love this scripture because the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are saved or are being saved, the message of the cross is the power of God. The, the, the redemptive work of Jesus on the cross is absolute perfection. How many know that what he did on the cross was perfect? It was absolute perfection in what Jesus did on the cross. It covered every need that you and I would ever have in our lives. It was a perfect work. And through the work of the cross and on the cross, Jesus administered a total and eternal and an irrevocable defeat to Satan and his kingdom. And this is the good news of the kingdom. Now with this understanding that what he did on the cross was perfect and it was a, a total defeat to the enemy, we have to stop and ask ourselves, what could we suppose would be the devil's response to this work? What would he want to do about what Jesus did on the cross? And what we have to understand with that is that what Satan wants to do is he wants to undermine what Jesus did on the cross, that he wants to do his very best to obscure the work of the cross because once the cross is obscured to us and we can't see it for what it is, he can reassert his control over us. And precisely that's what he did. That's what was happening in the church, in the book of Galatians. That's what he, he is currently doing and it's what he has done in the past. And so one of the primary aims of the devil is to obscure what was accomplished by the death of Jesus on the cross. And listen to me, there are three reasons as, as to why Satan wants to obscure what Jesus did on the cross. The first reason he wants to obscure what Jesus did on the cross is because it is the only basis of all God's provision for his people. How many know everything we get in the kingdom, none of it's possible without the cross? That we can't get saved without the cross. We can't get healed without the cross. We can't be delivered without the cross. Our marriages can't be restored without the cross. The cross is the basis for how God meets every single need that you and I have. How many of you today would say that you are thankful for the cross and what Jesus did on your behalf? I'm thankful for what he did on the cross, but I also know that the enemy works overtime to obscure our view of what happened on the cross. It's why the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 10, verse number 14, it says, for by one sacrifice, he made perfect forever those who are being made holy. How many know it? Jesus didn't have to go in every single day or three times a day. He went in once and for all and made atonement for you and I. By the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, God has done 
all that will ever be needed for any human being for any time period. It is all done through the cross. Now, our appropriation of the work of the cross is very much progressive. And here's what I mean by that. We are being sanctified. Presently, we are being sanctified. I grew up in a church where they said, I'm saved, I'm sanctified, past tense, and I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. And then they would add, add on a little line that we all laugh about, and I'm a member of the church of God. Saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Spirit, and a member of the church of God. Now, we are sanctified when we come into a relationship with Jesus, but how many of you understand that sanctification is, is not only uh, an event where we, we know that God has separated us for his purposes, but sanctification is also a process, that we are progressively sanctified. Um, and so I, I would say it like this. What Jesus has done on, on the cross, it is perfect, it is finished, and it is complete. But our appropriation of what he has done is progressive. Does that make sense? That as we walk with God, as, as we yield to God, that we are being made more and more like him. And so as we go through the process of sanctification, which is God making you and I holy, being conformed to God, thinking God's thoughts, living his way, we, we begin to appropriate more and more of the finished work of the cross. But if the enemy can move the power of the cross into obscurity, um, then instead of living as children of the king, as rightful heirs of the inheritance, we'll start living like beggars and paupers and going through life like our needs are not met. And, and, and if you ever have those pity party moments where you feel sorry for yourself and nothing ever works out for you, do you know what's happening? That is the devil obscuring what Jesus has done for you. That is him keeping you from seeing what Jesus did for you on the cross. His goal is to obscure the fact that all of God's benefits have been provided. And watch this. It's been provided solely based on what Jesus did on the cross. I want you to get that because it's not based on you. It's not based on what you did to get it. It's not based on what you did to earn it. The second reason he wants to obscure the cross is because it was the means of Satan's total defeat. Why does he want to obscure the cross? Because that was the means by which he was defeated. That's why Satan is defeated. Through the cross, Jesus ministered a total, eternal, irreversible defeat to our adversary. And Satan cannot change that. But what he will try to do is try to conceal that fact from you and I so that we will not live in the fullness of what Jesus paid for. A lot of times we, we underestimate what Jesus did on the cross. We think, thank you Jesus for the cross. I can go to heaven now. But he did so much more than prepare a way for you to go to heaven. He prepared for your healing, your breakthrough, your deliverance, your peace of mind. Come on somebody. He prepared everything. He did it all at the cross. 
I'm not ashamed of, of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation. It is the message of the cross that has the potential and the power to change the trajectory of your life. And so the enemy will work overtime to obscure the cross. And the reason is because it's the only basis for all of God's provision. And it's also the means of Satan's total defeat. And the third reason he will obscure it is because it is the only source of power for real Christian living. Some Christians and popular psychologists are fond of quoting the Sermon on the Mount as the way people ought to live. And I'm not dismissing that quote, but I am, I, I do want to suggest to you that as good as that sermon was that Jesus delivered, the Sermon on the Mount, the only way we get the ability to live in the manner it describes is through the sacrifice of Jesus. The only way it works, the only way we can apply it is by, by, by the cross. It is not just you and I adopting some principles to make our life better. There is no power in the principle outside of the cross. That the cross is what gives power to the principles you and I live by. And so Jesus' sacrifice dealt with the old man. How many know that you're not the same person you used to be? That the old man is dead and the deeds and the desires of the old man is dead and you've been raised to new life in Christ. Why do you think baptism is so powerful? Because when Jesus was crucified, you got to understand, you were crucified with him. You say, well, we didn't, we didn't get crucified. Yeah, you were crucified. You were there. You were crucified with Christ. The good news is, is that not only were you crucified with Christ, you have been raised to life with Christ and in Christ, seated in heavenly places with the enemy already under your feet. But the enemy will blind you. He wants to make that reality obscure to you so that you cannot see what Jesus has made available. Romans is a great place to begin reading what this new, new life looks like and what it means to be in Christ and, and what salvation really is all about. In, in Romans chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, it says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. So you were crucified with Christ. It's why baptism is more than symbolic. It's, it's why there's power in, in baptism, that when we get into the water, we are identifying with the crucifixion of Jesus, but we're also identifying with the resurrection of Jesus, that we are not the same person. The old man is, in fact, dead, and we've been raised to new life in Christ. In Galatians 5.24, it says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Until we learn to apply the cross to our carnal nature, the carnal nature will master us. We cannot master it in our own strength. That's why the cross is paramount. It's why what Jesus did 
is so important that we appropriate the finished work of Christ to our life. You have no power over yourself, over your flesh, over your carnal desires, over the devil. You have no power whatsoever in your own strength. The only power we have comes by way of the cross. I read this story this week that described this civil war that took place in Spain between the left wing and the right wing. Tragically, the Spaniards were fighting against one another. And at one point, there was this Spanish general um, who was besieging a Spanish city. And a second general came to him and asked, said, what is your plan to take out the city? And the general replied, he said, I have four columns advancing on the city. I've got four columns advancing on it. I've got one from the north. I've got one from the south. I've got one from the east, and I've got one from the west. And he paused for just a second, and he said this. He said, but it's my fifth column I'm expecting to take the city down. The second general asked, what is your fifth column? I get the four, the north, the south, the east, and the west, but what is this fifth column? And he replied, he said, it's inside the city. The fifth column is that which is inside working against the people who are unaware of its presence. And church, this story illustrates how Satan plans to take the church out. His plan is to destroy the church, but what he's learned is that he's never been able to defeat the church from outside the church, but once he gets the fifth column on the inside, he says, it's my fifth column, that which is working that they are unaware of, that can begin to take the city out. So in a sense, Satan's deceptive power, especially manifested in the form of witchcraft is the fifth column that takes place not outside the church, but inside the church. It's not going to take the church down from outside the church. And I've had to come to grips that my biggest enemies many times are not outside of the church that sometimes the enemy plants your biggest enemies right inside the church and will use witchcraft. I've got your attention now. This very theme is dealt with by the Apostle Paul writing to the Galatians church. And as you're going to see, he spoke to the Galatians much different than he did all the other churches. And in a very real sense, it's the theme of the letter to Galatians. And we see clearly in Paul's words, if you go back to chapter 3, verse 1, he says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. Now, this is a rather strange question that Paul asks, who has bewitched you. As we're about to see, the Galatians were people who had come to a relationship with Christ. They had been radically saved. Watch this. They had been baptized in the Holy Spirit, and they had even seen the miraculous. They had seen God move 
powerfully. And they yet became bewitched under a spell. And the point is, is that just because you are saved and you speak in tongues and you see God do miracles does not mean that you could never fall prey to the enemy's tactics. Because they had experienced all of the above, salvation, Holy Spirit baptisms, miracle signs and wonders. And then Paul is writing to people that have experienced all of those things, and he's asking them, who has bewitched you? Now, my question is, you know, how did Paul know that witchcraft was operating? What was the evidence that there was witchcraft involved in the church? The answer is very important, but the answer is also revealing because witchcraft had ultimately obscured the revelation that they had received of the reality of Jesus Christ being crucified. The supreme aim of witchcraft in the church is to hide the reality of what Jesus did on the cross. In the very next verse, in verse 2, he said, I would like to learn just one thing from you. He said, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Now, again, they had been saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, had seen God do miracles, and now Paul is asking them, how did all that happen? How did you receive it? Did you receive all the goodness of God because you obeyed the law perfectly, or did you receive all these beautiful things of God because you believed the message you heard and received it by faith? I think today would be a good opportunity for us to all take a step back and understand anything that we've received from God, we didn't get it because we were good enough. We got it, we received it because he's good enough. I need somebody to put a praise on that because if anything else, any other view of it is nothing more than witchcraft that is obscuring what Jesus accomplished on the cross. So Paul was very bold. He said, number one, you all foolish, and who's put a spell on you? Do you think you are who you are because you obeyed the law or because you received the message you heard and you received it by faith? Verses 3 through 5, I'm going to continue reading. He says, are you so foolish? Y'all wouldn't like the Apostle Paul as your pastor. Are you so foolish after, watch this, after beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain? If it really was in vain, so again I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? How many know Paul is putting things in order right here? Because the root problem for the Galatians was that the reality of Jesus crucified had been obscured by an evil satanic power that had moved in, and the two problems that resulted were they became carnal and they became legalist. 
What happened as a result of witchcraft was carnality and legalism. Those were the two things that came out of witchcraft. It, was, it, it, it obscured the cross and put the onus on us And because the onus was now on us and not on the finished work of the cross, we become actually more carnal when it's on us, and we become legalistic, which means we become the kind of people that makes everybody think they can't get to heaven. They can't have a relationship with God. Legalism and carnality. Are y'all with me so far? Those are the two things that came out of it. And so they missed the purpose of Christ's death. And verse 10 of chapter 3, Galatians 3, verse 10, it says, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Essentially, Paul is saying, If you have gone back to trying to achieve righteousness by keeping the law, remember, you have to keep the whole law all the time or you're under a curse. You see, when Israel came into the land of Canaan, one of the first things they had to do was they had to pronounce a curse upon themselves if they did not keep the whole law all the time. We must realize that keeping a little bit of the law some of the time does not do us any good. We are either saved by faith in the finished work of Jesus or or we're not saved at all. And for those of you that like to dabble around with some of the laws and this law and that law, you better keep them all. You You don't get to pick and choose the ones you like. Because you picking and choosing the ones you like to achieve some standard with God or to achieve some level of righteousness is actually obscuring the price Jesus paid so that you and I could be in relationship with Jesus. We don't get there on our own. We don't get there by our merit. We don't get there by good works. We get there because Jesus came, lived a perfect life, and then laid his life down on my behalf. And when I hear that message and put my faith in him, how quickly we sometimes can become carnal and, yes, even legalistic, thinking we are justified by keeping the law. Most of the time, if you, if you hang out with people and maybe you, you got a crowd of people and you, you're all sinning good together. How many sinners are supposed to sin? Church people crack me up. Can you believe what these people are doing? Sinners are supposed to sin. Okay? They're supposed to. That's that's who they are. They're a sinner. They're supposed to sin. But if you're in a crowd of sinners and then you get saved and you have a real encounter with God and you receive the message of Jesus and put your faith, a lot of times what you'll you'll see happen, you'll tell all your friends that you were partying with and you were hanging out with, hey, I got saved. My life's different. And a lot of times they'll respond by, oh, okay, you found religion. We're glad for you. Yay. And, and you, you, you begin to explain a little further, no, I, I didn't find religion. I found Jesus. My life's different. And a lot of times they'll come back at you with, well, you know, I do this or I keep this rule or, you know, I don't go there. They're not talking about a relationship with Jesus. They're saying, 
uh, I, I do A, B, and C because anytime people are presented with a demand to what they are doing in their relationship with Christ, if there's a demand from them, a lot of times their response is, well, I do, and then fill in the blank. I pray every night before I go to bed, or, you know, I went to Sunday school. My grandma loved Jesus and prayed for me. And, and so they give you all this stuff that they do. I keep a lot. And, and I just want to say it real bold for the cameras as well. Christianity is not a set of rules. It's, it's not. If you have reduced Christianity down to a set of rules, then you have lost the vision of the cross. And, and if you've lost the vision of the cross, you have also lost the power of God. I'm going to say it again. I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the cross. I put my faith, my confidence, and my trust, not in my ability to keep the law perfectly, but I put my faith and my trust in Jesus because he already kept it on my behalf. And when I do miss the mark, thank God I got an advocate with the Father. Come on, somebody. I need somebody to help me this morning. All you that wear halos and you've never missed it, this message is probably not for you, for the rest of us. We're thankful for what Jesus has accomplished on our behalf. The two marks of the work of witchcraft in the Galatian church was legalism and carnality. And whenever we encounter legalism, somewhere behind legalism is witchcraft. And legalism is one of the greatest threats to the purposes of God. And a lot of people would argue and say, it ain't legalism, it's carnality, it's immorality. But as a matter of fact, legalism promotes a lot of other negative activity. Here's what we got to see. If, if we are constantly telling people, don't steal, and we don't give them anything, just stop your stealing. Stop lusting. Stop hating. And we don't give them anything else, just, just a rule. Stop this. Stop that. Don't do that. Don't go here. And we don't give them anything else. Listen to me. We're actually feeding what's wrong. I want to show you this to you from the Scripture. In Romans chapter 7, you may want to write this down. Romans chapter 7, starting in verse 7. Hear the words of the Apostle Paul. He said, what shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment. I want you to see that sin seized the opportunity by way of the commandment produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death for sin seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment deceived me and through the commandment put me to death 
negative rules, if we just constantly tell people do better, stop lusting, stop gossiping, stop this, stop that, and we don't give them anything else, we don't bring them by way of the cross, we don't, we don't point them to what Jesus has done, we just tell them to keep the rules, that negative rules operate in the flesh and they actually feed the very thing that we're trying to prevent. Many people feel that if we don't make enough rules, we won't be able to keep the people under control. But watch me. You can make 10 rules and tell everybody you're going to live by the 10 rules. Before long, you're going to need 15. And then after you do 15 for a little while, you're going to realize that ain't enough. They're still out of control. We need 25. And it doesn't matter if you make 150 rules. If you don't give them Jesus and the cross and the power of what happened on the cross and all you feed them is a list of rules, you are setting people up to go further and further in their sin and bondage. It's not enough for me to get up and tell everybody, stop doing wrong. If I don't bring them to Jesus and the power of the cross, all I am doing is feeding what is already wrong in them. We all know how it works. Your parents growing up tell you, don't touch that. What's the first thing you're going to do when they walk out of the room? I'm going to touch it. You told me not to, I'm going to put my finger on that. You're going to leave the room and I'm going to find out. I'm curious. It actually feeds what's wrong. Galatians is very interesting. Among all the books that, that Paul wrote, all the churches he wrote to, because it's the only one that Paul did not begin by thanking God for the people he was writing to. Did y'all catch that? It's the only one he didn't thank God for the people he was writing to. Every other church, God, I thank you for these wonderful people. They're such a blessing. God, I am so thankful. This group is an old foolish bunch. Now, what, what I find interesting about it is he, he wrote to the Corinthians, watch this, and they were getting drunk at communion. We're doing communion here in a few minutes. They were using communion to get intoxicated, to throw a party. There was incest all through that church. I can't even tell you some of the stuff they were doing without being very embarrassed some of the stuff that was going on in the Corinthian church. And Paul wrote to them, and he's like, I thank you, God, for these great people. He gets to the Galatians, and we would all thank incest and getting drunk at the Lord's, you know, table. All the, you know, that, that's, that's the group that you need to be starting. No, he, he thanked God for them. But there's something about witchcraft, and there's something about witchcraft that, that turns into carnality and legalism, that Paul wasn't playing any games at all. And he says in verse 6 through 9, I haven't read these yet, Galatians chapter 1, 6 through 9, it says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. 
But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. What is Paul dealing with? He's dealing with witchcraft, which had turned into legalism. And it had blinded the people of the power of the cross. It had taken their attention off of Jesus and had placed the attention on their own works. Church, no matter what God does, how many thousands of people get saved, healed, delivered, breakthrough, how many demons we cast out, may, may we never make it about what we've done in the kingdom. Let's keep our eyes on Jesus and him crucified because the power is not in what we've done. The power is in what Jesus has done. If you believe that, can you give God a praise this morning? Come on, if you believe that. Eli, will you come help me land this plane on the keys? Thank you. The problem in the Galatian church was legalism. And I want you to see something. The sin is sin. How many know sin is sin? We don't, we don't, we're not classifying things, but there was something about this that, that Paul, he viewed it as a much greater threat than just immorality. And, and, and just typical sins that people commit. When, it, when they became legalistic and they, they were blinded to what Jesus had done, he saw this as a threat and he dealt with it head on. The definition of legalism is attempting to achieve righteousness with God by observing a set of rules. That's legalism. Everybody in here at some point or another, everybody watching online has fallen trapped to thinking that your righteousness was based on what you were doing. We've all done it. There have been times I missed the mark and stayed in the molly grubs for way too long because I had put all the righteousness not on Jesus' ability to forgive me, but on my ability to achieve some standard. If there was a way for you and I to achieve some standard in God and to achieve righteousness, Jesus didn't have to come. The reason Jesus came was because you and I, no matter how hard we tried, we came up short. And legalism is our attempt to achieve a standard of righteousness apart from what Jesus did. In Galatians 2.16, it says, know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus and we may, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law because the works of the law, by them, no one will be justified. Listen, I don't care how holy you live, it's still not you, baby. I, I don't care how, how you pray three times a day. Praise God. Only by His grace. You preach the gospel, praise the Lord. 
only by his grace. You lead a small group. Some of you won't even lead a small group because you feel like you're not good enough. It's only by his grace. Some of you won't pray for someone sick because you're afraid that you're not worthy. It's only by his grace. I feel the power of the Holy Spirit in here because it's not about you and it's not about me. It's about what Jesus did. It's about what he has accomplished and made available on our behalf. And that is the power of the gospel. And it's so easy that to serve God for a little bit of time and then start thinking, now it's up to you. Well, I've been serving God 10 years. Now I need to do A, I need to do B, and I need to do... And I'm not saying you don't need to do what God's telling you to do. Just, just don't get it twisted. That your righteousness is not based on you. It's based on Him. Legalism is attempting to achieve righteousness with God by observing a set of rules. A second definition is adding other requirements to what God has stated for achieving righteousness with Him. It's when we start adding things that God never gave. Romans chapter 4, it says, starting in verse 22, it says, This is why it was credited to Him as righteousness, the words it was credited to him were written not for him alone but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to new life for our justification in other words there is no other way to achieve righteousness with God nothing else can be added no person no church no group no preacher has the authority to add any other requirement to achieving righteousness with God than that which has been stated in the New Testament and that comes only through a relationship with Jesus Christ when we make it about something else we are adding we're also losing the power of the cross. And without the cross, I am reminded today that there is no power. Anybody in the room thankful for the cross today? I want you to stand with me all over this room. We're going to do a couple of things, and we're going to do it in a little bit of an order. I'm going to keep the podium here for just a minute. But I want you to bow your heads for just a minute. Close your eyes. I don't want anyone looking around except for the compass directors, and those that are helping with this part of the service. Um, I want you to go ahead and get in place and be prepared. And the Lord just told me to keep it simple, to do two things in closing today. And one was to give people an opportunity to repent, to make a decision to follow Jesus. We're gonna do that first. While heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If you're in this room and you know that you're not right with God and you need to repent, you need to ask Jesus to forgive you. You need to make a decision to follow him and to put your faith in the finished work of Jesus. If that's you, I'm not going to embarrass you, but I'm, I am going to ask you right there where you are. If you know you need to make things right with God, would you just throw your hand up right there where you are and say, Pastor, that's, that's me. I need to make some things right with God today. Anyone at all?
right, we're going to do a second thing. And this is going to be a little bit different. Last week, we took the time to bless students, educators, homeschool moms, and the power of God moved in this room in a, in a very profound way. And today, um, Karen and I, as we were preparing for today's message and the Holy Spirit giving it to me late and just kind of bringing things back to the cross and putting our attention on Jesus, I felt that it was important. We felt it would be important that we receive communion together. And so, but I want to do it a little bit different today. Um, there is communion elements under every seat. There's actually two, but don't take them both. One's for the next service. Um, but I want you to pull one of those communion elements out. But I'm, I'm going to give you a second step with that. Prayer team, I want you to be prepared as well. Here's what, here, Let me just explain to you what we're going to do. We're going to receive communion together. But I want you to get with your family, okay? I want you to make sure if your, your husband or your wife is in the building, you get close to them. If your kids are in the room, get close to them. I want you to get with your family because we're going to receive communion as one big family, but also in pockets of family. We're, we're going to make sure that, that we're in our family, and then we're going to have the prayer team. After we receive communion, I'm going to come down and... We're just going to bless families. Is that all right? Can we bless families today? I believe it's going to be a powerful time. If someone could, could y'all hand me one of those communion elements? Thank you. Thank you so much. Let's see. part of this. I don't want to bless families until after we've received communion and the worship team is going to lead us in another song and then we're going to bless families. I want you to get with your family, but I want everybody to make a step. I want you to come as close to the platform as possible. I know we can't all fit, but I'm just, I want us to all make some kind of move. Stay with your families. But let's all move, come this direction. We're going to have a time of communion, but also a time of worship. Kind of like baptism as y'all making your way, let me talk about this. When we receive communion, we're actually receiving the real presence of Christ into our lives. When we receive the Lord's Supper, the real power of Jesus shows up. And a lot of times when the early church would receive communion, sick bodies would be healed. I believe today that as we receive communion, that your physical body can be healed. I believe that as we receive communion today, you can be set free by the power of God, that deliverance can take place. I believe that relationships can be restored all through. A lot of times we, we give people principles, you need to do this and you need to do that. Sometimes we just need to get people to the Lord's table to take of his body and his blood. I believe today that the Holy Spirit is gonna move throughout this room as we receive communion because this is not just symbolic. This is bringing us back to the body and the blood of Jesus. This is removing any obscurity the enemy has brought into our minds, into our spiritual lives, that it's about us. How many know at the end of the day, it ain't about us at all. It's about him. 
He has the power to heal, to save, to set free. So, Father, we thank you now for the body and the blood of Jesus. We thank you for what it means. We thank you that by your stripes we truly are healed. And in this moment, we pray blessing over this body that we received, the body that was broken for us. We bless it now in Jesus' name. You can take the body. Father, just as we thank you for the body, we also thank you now for the blood that was shed for the remission of sins. We thank you that we're not made right because of what we've done, but we are made right because of what you've done. We thank you for the blood that was shed for us. You can take the cup at this time. prayer team is going to kind of squeeze in and among you and just bless families. Prayer team, I just want you to be very specific to pray God's blessing. I believe that as we do this act of obedience this morning, people are going to be healed, set free, delivered. Shame is going to be broken off of some of you. Condemnation is going to be broken off of some of you. That God is going to move powerfully as we lay hands and bless the people of God. How many believe that today? Amen. I believe that. Worship team, let's sing and we're going to bless some families. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Bethesda Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website, BethesdaChurch.tv. Thank you for joining us and have a great day.